Listener Production. Let's go, girls. Alrighty, I'm ready whenever you are. Allergies. <laughs> Hello, Lindsay. Hello, Jacob. We are back again. I'm not going to ask you how you are because I know you're very, very grumpy. Very grumpy. A lot of wind, a lot of pollen. I'm not enjoying it. But the good news is we've got another fun episode with a very fabulous guest, Kate Wosley. She is just such a divine entity. Loved having a chat with her on this episode. And it's all about one of my favourite genres, mm-hmm. sub-genres of true crime. The, some might say victimless crime of art theft, which happens in Boston. And you were talking to someone about the story and found out that they came from Boston over the weekend, I believe? Yes, I've become a truly insufferable gistner. <laughs> I was out on the weekend at the pub for my neighbour's birthday and I was sitting next to a friend of hers who said that they had lived in Boston for a really long time mm. and I said, oh, did you ever go to the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum? Mm. And they're like, yeah, 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 no, it's a great museum. And I was telling everybody else at the table all about the story that we're about to hear with Kate and then... Um, this person, Lucy, was saying that it has a really beautiful, like, outdoor area. Mm. And I was like, well, do you want to hear a story <laughs> about what happened in the outdoor area? Which you'll all get to hear in a little bit. Mm. Uh, so it has truly lived up to the name. Just a gist has lived up to the name of sharing stories so you can sound interesting at a dinner party. Because I walked away feeling very interesting and very smug. Oh, terrific. <laughs> Mission accomplished then. Very glad to hear it. Um, Before we jump into the episode, though, I just have to acknowledge Mm -hmm. um, so many of you have got in touch with us and let us know that our revelation about double spacing in last week's episode... Yes, I saw that in the comments. (laughs) um, ...has been quite overwhelming, (laughs) really got lips a-flapping. So many people have got in touch and said, I had no idea that different generations were taught these different Mm -hmm. conventions. I'd never spotted it and now... That I've seen it, I cannot unsee it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, spread the word about that, everybody. Um, if you want to share mind-blowing facts with your friends, family and loved ones. Lindsay, I also have a question for you. Great. You know how you've said in the past that mm-hmm. you strongly believe that the animals are one day going to rise up mm-hmm. against us and um, enslave or eradicate us? Eventually. Well, the revolution has begun. We are under attack. And I'm not talking about the lions that escaped from (laughs) Taronga Zoo this morning. I'm talking about a completely different little critter Mm -hmm. leading this fight against humanity. Do you want to have a guess what species it is? I My first thought was rats or mice just because we've had a plague of them recently. Okay. Well, these guys have tails and I suppose to some eyes they might look like bigger cuter versions of rats. It's otters. It's otters. Otters are taking over. Otters are taking over. Otters of all people. Are they an animal that we need to be worried about? You wouldn't think so Mm. because they are, they just look so cute. And they fall asleep holding hands? Yes. Like they're just, they look like they'd be just the most kind, gentle little Mm. angels. No, not so. (laughs) They're absolute menaces. There are hundreds of them wreaking havoc in Singapore at the moment. And I'm just going to start off by reading you the headline from an article that Ajisna sent through to us not that long ago. I thought I was going to die. Otters attack British man in Singapore Park. (gasps) (laughs) 
Graham George Spencer says he was bitten 26 times oh in 10 seconds <gasps> while out for a morning walk. And this is not an isolated incident. It turns out that all these adults and children and pets are being terrorised by gangs of rogue otters. So the background to this is that the otter population was pretty much wiped out mm-hmm. by um, pollution in yeah. like the 1970s. And then from the 80s, they started to clean up the waterways. Gradually, the otters have started to come mm-hmm. back and they've just experienced mm-hmm. this population explosion maybe as a result of, um, you know, post-COVID, yeah. how all the dolphins were returning to Venice and whatnot, um, something along those lines. They've got no fear of humans whatsoever and they are really, really aggressive little carnivores. Um, So, yeah, they've been attacking a bunch of people who've ended up in hospital. Um, They've been causing a lot of damage to um, parks and they've been stealing like really expensive koi fish from (gasps) fancy hotels all around Singapore. One Hotel claims that they lost $85,000 worth of koi fish that had been taken by these otters. And here's how you know they're a real true menace. They don't even bother eating the koi. They, like, drag them away, kill them, sort of desecrate the bodies and then leave them behind as, like, a threatening message to the humans. Yeah, it's completely wild. And um, just to tell you a bit more detail about what happened to poor Graham George Spencer... So he was going for a nice walk in a park mm-hmm. and a man came jogging in the opposite direction and in between those two men mm-hmm. was this group of otters <gasps> and to get away from the guy who was jogging towards them, they just bolted for poor Graham George, knocked him over, started biting him all over his leg, all the way up to his butt. Then once he was on the ground, they started going for his arms, hands, face, neck. Thankfully, he had a friend nearby who was able to come over and like clear all the otters off him. And he is adamant that he would not be alive (gasps) today had it not been for his friend coming to his rescue. He really thought he was going to die death by otter. Oh, my Mm. goodness. I didn't realise that otters were even land-based animals. I just thought that they were... In water. Oh, well, they're comfortable in both arenas, which just makes them that much more dangerous. Wow. Personally. Do you know if the Singaporean government is doing anything to... Yeah, they're trying to relocate them. <gasps> um, they haven't announced where they're relocating them to, so I suspect they might be relocating them onto the next life. Mm. But, um, yeah, they don't want that PR disaster to get out just yet. Um, okay, let's go ahead and jump into this episode with Kate Wosley. It is the story of the biggest art heist of all time. I think you're really going to love it. Enjoy. Hello, Gistners. Welcome back to Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which ordinarily Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party. And as you're all well aware, Rosie's taking a bit of a break to look after her health. So while she's off, we've got some sensational guest hosts who've been coming on board. And this week, we are welcoming the fabulous, the gorgeous Kate Wosley to Just the Gist. Kate, welcome. Hello, Gistners. Thanks for having me. It is our pleasure. Thank you for being here. You are at the very front of the queue of Gistners 
who volunteered to come on the show. As soon as I heard that, I was like, now's my time to shoot my shot. (laughs) I'm in. (laughs) And you went for it. And thank you for doing that. We were very, very flattered. Thank you for applying. I'm stoked. (laughs) Um, We were thrilled to find out that you were a a loyal Gisner. A long time loyal Gisner, actually. Uh Yes. And I have a girlfriend, Dina, who will be listening to this. And we discuss every episode every week. Like our own little podcast book club kind of situation going on. But Uh yeah. Okay. Long Long time fan. Do you have a favorite? I know it's like choosing a favorite child, I'm it, sure. It really, truly is. You know what? I always go back to the sex raft one. Carly, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, which is always oh. good. And of course, I mean, this one's classic, but Anna Delvey. Oh, obsessed. Yes, 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 yes. Obsessed. Yeah. And I feel like you guys got us all onto that before it really blew up in mm-hmm. the mainstream media. So thank yeah. you for that. Oh. <laughs> um, so Kate, for the uninitiated... Can you please give us just the gist of who you are and what you do? I sure can. So my name is Kate Worsley. I'm a plus size model. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been modeling for a good eight years now. And uh-huh. I do realize I just gave away my lie again for oh, my no. two dress. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. Um, so I've been modeling for eight years. I'm 28 years old. I am originally from Perth mm-hmm. and I've been living in Sydney for the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a couple of modeling stints overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty settled in Sydney now. I'm loving it. It's feeling more and more like home. So, oh, that's terrific. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do it. You mentioned we were going to be playing Two Truths and a Lie. Yes, Hopefully and I gave away can... my truth again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're going to hit me and Lindsay with three statements about yourself and we're going to find which one's the fib, hopefully. All right, so my three maybe truths. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have two brothers. Uh-huh. I have modelled in six different countries mm-hmm. and one time I almost got arrested in the Bahamas. Oh. <laughs> so usually when people get specific about numbers in this game, that's a bit of a red herring. Mm-hmm. So it could be five countries, it could be seven countries, it could be 16 countries. Mm-hmm. We know it's multiple countries, though. And two brothers, again, it's a bit of a numbers game. Yeah, Are they older or younger? Sisters. Both. One of each. Mm-hmm. Middle child. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Look, I'm just going to say I hope the Bahamas story is true and I want to unpack that with you. So I'm going to go with that. With the, That's the truth. And I'm going to say, yeah, six countries is a lie. Lindsay? I also want the Bahamas story to be true, so I'll say that's true, and I'll go the opposite of Jacob, so the brothers is a lie. Mm-hmm. Lindsay is on a roll yet again. <gasps> I have one younger brother. Oh, <laughs> so it yes. is a good decoy, though. Yes, thank you. So the Bahamas story is true. I think you had true. older child energy. Thank you. I have, was hoping um, I wasn't going off middle <laughs> child energy. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> you can probably see in my face that I was like, really? Yeah. Hmm, middle child? Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Um, all right. So tell us, the Bahamas, what happened? All right, so this is kind of condensed because it was a long night. Mm. I I was modelling in the Bahamas and I, well, sorry, let's start. I was in New York. Mm. I had just been modelling. It was a, you know, 14 flights in Mm. seven-day kind of situation. Um, I confused a couple of my flights and I missed my flight from New York to the Bahamas. Mm. So I went to the airport. I'll be freaking out. I was only 22 Freaking out, trying to get on a flight. They've like, we've only got one, but it's like the red eye. And I was like, okay, it arrives at 11 p.m. So awesome. I was like, well, whatever, I'll take it as long as I'm there tonight. Got there. 
And I did do a little bit of research and I knew that my hotel was only 5Ks from the airport. So uh-huh. I was expecting quite a short ride. Yeah. Anyway, I jumped in the taxi. I said, hey, do you take car? I don't have cash. She mm. said, yep, no worries. Jumped in. Off we go. We're driving, driving, driving for a lot longer than I thought. Uh-huh. And then at probably 12 p.m. at night, he turned into a oh. car park that was like surrounded by jungle. And there was this little light and a public toilet and an ATM. You got kidnapped. Kidnap Jacob. <laughs> and he turns to me, looks me dead in the eye at midnight and goes, go withdraw all your money. <gasps> oh. And I've just gone, sure. And I've gone, okay, I've only got X amount, so I'll just withdraw half and pretend mm. that's it. Whatever. I can live without it. Go to the ATM. Bank card not accepted. Bank card not accepted. I haven't told my bank that I'm there. So oh, they're going, shit. we're not accepting this charge. Of course. So I sheepishly go back over to him. And shaking. And I'm like, oh. sir, sorry. <laughs> he goes, you've got no money. And mm. I'm like, yep, he's got my passport and everything in the car. Yeah. And he's like, well, you got in my taxi without any money. You were trying to scam me. And I've oh. gone, huh? Mm. What? You, what? you just kidnapped me and told me to withdraw all my money and I was just doing what you were telling me to. <laughs> and he's like, I used to be a cop. I'm going to call my boys down here and mm. they're going to make sure you rot in prison. And I've gone, oh, Oh my God. <laughs> I'm by myself. I've got a phone working. Like, anyway, so then these three cops come down, big boys. Like, I'm, uh-huh. I'm a six foot mm-hmm. girl, you know, not many people I find a lot taller than me. These mm-hmm. guys were huge. And I've just, oh my God. And of course, they get there, they're like, hey, bro, how are you going? Like, they're, they're mates. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, oh my God. And I'm trying to explain to them. I asked him if he had a car, whatever, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And they go, you have to come down to the station with us. And I've just got, okay, just get me out of this situation. I'll yeah. come to the station, whatever. So I collect all my stuff. I'm crying. I'm shaking, making a big oh. scene. <laughs> and I get down to the station. They put me in a little holding room slash cell. This woman comes in and she was like, she was American. She was like, hey, like, I'm sure you're really scared right now. I'm really sorry this has happened. Mm. I'm going to take you to find a working ATM. And I've gone, all right, awesome. Um, she's then walked outside with me, said, we're going to go to this hotel and the only way to get there is this party bus. <laughs> so this party bus swings by and I have a Snapchat of it as well because I was like right in my Snapchat era. But it's me, two cops on a party bus, like on the way to this like hotel. <laughs> Guys, it's just like, what is happening? But I was like, okay, I'm going along with it just for the plot. Like yeah, this is going to yeah. be a good story. Anyway, get to the hotel, ATM's broken. Sweet. Okay, oh. they go, you got to go to the casino. Back on the party bus we go. We get, <laughs> we get to the casino. Again, same kind of thing. Bank card's not working, yeah. whatever. So I'm kind of freaking out. The woman goes, look, it's a scam that they run mm, together. Right. And I've gone, of course. And she's like, so don't worry about it. We've Goes. tried. We'll take you to your hotel. Mm. I've gone, okay, cool. By this time, it's 3 a.m. Like, it's been a lot. I was sitting in that holding room for a long time. Anyway, we get to my hotel. No one's there. Mm. It's locked. No one's awake. All the lights are off. The cops banging on the windows. No answer. He goes, you can sleep at mine. And I've gone, oh. I've gone, oh, that's okay. Thanks, sir. Can we go no. back to that first hotel? They're like, yep. Yeah. So we went back to this first hotel. No rooms. She goes, you're welcome to sleep in the lobby. I've gone, I've got a flight. I've got a flight at 6am. Glamorous model life, right? Glamorous. Model. That's it. So I've gone, I've showered in the basin of the public toilets of the bus. Oh, no. <laughs> Just, I've gone, 
I've honestly, I've laid down on this couch in the lobby. Yeah. I feel like I closed my eyes, woke up again because it was morning mm. and there's a man standing over me. Do you need a taxi? <laughs> <laughs> I've gone, no. <laughs> Where's the party bus? <laughs> anyway, yeah, um, finally got myself to the airport, jumped on a plane. My ticket, my agent had messaged me saying, get off at the second stop. Make sure it's the second stop. The two girls that were on the plane with me get off at the first stop. Mm. I go on to the second stop. Then on my ticket, I realised that the first stop actually was where I was on the second stop. So they had almost flipped oh. the route. And I oh. got off and I was like, where am I? Oh, sometimes the pilot flips the route. <laughs> <laughs> Shakes it up a little bit. <laughs> just weird. choose to shake it up. So I've gone, oh, my goodness. They've gone, but if you pay us 100 USD then we'll get you to the other island. So I was like, I've just been scammed again. Once more. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> I still didn't have money, so I had to get the client to pay and then pay them back. Mortifying. I got to my job only half an hour late and oh. then modelled the entire day. But, oh, my gosh, I got there and I was like, you guys would not believe <laughs> the night I have had. <laughs> oh. So, yeah. That that's is my a- story of how I was pretty much arrested in the Bahamas. And that's it for this week's episode of Just the <laughs> Just the gist on Kate Wellesley's modelling experiences. Yeah. <laughs> that was sensational. Um, but no, we do have another story. Yes. That is the purpose of Just the Gist, of course, to serve you something to share at a dinner party. And Kate, when I asked you what you would like to be served on this episode of Just the Gist, you said you wanted a certain genre of story, which was? Either true crime or mysteries. True crime My is favorite. the avenue we yep. decided to go Amazing. down. You ask for true crime, true crime you will get. But this is more than just a crime story. This one is also a bit of an unsolved mystery. Oh, both my favourite. A hint of conspiracy theory in there as well. So we're getting value from this one. And the best part is this takes place in the silly, silly world of high-end art. Oh, my favourite. So this isn't just any art story. This is just the gist of the biggest art theft in history that we know of, at least. Yes. This is just the gist of the Gardner Museum heist of 1990, where more than half a billion dollars worth of art was stolen by just two thieves and no one has ever been charged with the crime. Oh, my God. And the artworks are still missing. (gasps) I can't mm-hmm. even fathom that amount of money. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah, we're talking close to 800 million Australian dollars worth of art. Oh my goodness. Mm. And someone out there's got it. It's somewhere. Oh. <laughs> and we may never know where. But um, the story begins in Boston, Massachusetts, Uh 7.30 a.m. Sunday, March 18th, Uh 1990. It was St. Patrick's Day weekend, and that's Uh a pretty big deal in Boston. Everyone had been out partying the Uh night before, so most Bostonians were sleeping off some pretty hefty hangovers Uh uh, on that Sunday morning. But bright and early, two security guards showed up for their shift at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, which is one of the most prestigious museums in America. Have you ever heard of it? No. I'd never heard of it until I, until I started researching. Okay, because I've never been to Boston. I would love to, but, well, yeah. Well, even when you go, you need to go Absolutely check out I will. this place yeah. and you'll find out quite a bit about it as okay. we go along. So the guards did what they always did when they arrived for work. They hit the doorbell, waited for the guards who'd been on duty overnight to buzz them in, but there was no answer. So they rang the doorbell again. And they waited, and still nothing. Tried again, waited, still nothing. And Mm -hmm. this was 
definitely cause for concern. Yeah. If no one was answering the door, that meant something wasn't right inside. But the guards didn't have keys to the museum. So they ran down the road to a payphone and they called the museum's chief of security, told him what was going on. He, of course, raced down there as quickly as he could and used his key to unlock one of the back doors, let them all inside, and straight away they could tell there had been some serious mischief going on overnight. So so no one was in for work before them? The night guards had been on duty overnight and they were the ones who were supposed to open the door, but they weren't answering the doorbell. Why not? Where were they? (sighs) We're about to find Mm. out. The door to the security guard's office had been kicked in pretty violently. The handle was lying on the floor. There was an empty gold picture frame sitting right on the head of security's desk chair. Most worrying, though, was that there were no sign of the two guards who'd been on duty overnight. And that then made them think, well, okay, they're possibly somewhere inside the building, and if they're here somewhere, then maybe whoever broke in could still be in the building as well. So Mm -hmm. the guards tried to arm themselves with some heavy, blunt objects. (laughs) The frame, yeah. Just in case. (laughs) Um, One of them actually was holding a crowbar, which she was like, this was probably brought in by the thieves. This is evidence. This is evidence. my prints on it now, but that's okay. (laughs) But right now I just need to protect myself in case there are some violent people here. The head of security called the Boston police and he could barely control the panic in his voice when he was like, something seriously bad has yeah. happened here. You need to get down here as quickly as you can. Send as many cops as are available. So dozens of cops swarmed to the gallery and <laughs> one of the security guards made a point of mentioning that a lot of the cops showed up with boxes of donuts <laughs> when they <laughs> came. Classic Boston. Always be yeah. prepared. Yeah. Um, and then once they were all there, briefed, ready, 8.15am, roughly, they found out and started searching the museum and they weren't able to find the night guards anywhere. They started to get worried that they might have been taken hostage and Mm -hmm. taken away from the premises or maybe they had been killed. And members of the Boston Police Department knew better than anybody that if the guards were dead, the odds were pretty high that the bodies were going to be down in the basement. Mm. Eight times out of ten... The bodies are in the basement, so down they went. And there in the darkness, they (gasps) found the two night guards whose names Mm. were Rick and Randy, and they were each handcuffed to a vertical metal pipe with their arms behind their back and tape wrapped around their heads, covering their eyes and noses. They were alive. Oh, my gosh, good. I was prepping for like a... JonBenet Ramsey kind of, Mm. like, I know, let's check the basement. But, yeah, 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 okay, wow, yeah. Well, that's what's going through their heads at the time. And when they first saw Rick and Randy, they thought that they very well could be dead. I'm now going to show you a picture of the tape around Rick's head. (gasps) If you want to go ahead and describe that for the gistners. I would say picture something straight off the dark web. (laughs) 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 That's terrifying. It almost looks like a... Like a Tin Man mask, mm. kind of. Oh, that's that's going to haunt me forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay can't see it. So. so it goes all around. There's like two different angles going on. One, it's like if you... Had your wisdom teeth yeah, out. Yeah, you had yeah. your wisdom teeth out. So it's going from like the top of your forehead down to your chin. And then the other angle is around the eyes mm. and over the nose. Yeah. 
Like they've turned it into a mask. Yeah. Which was completely unnecessary for them to do as well. It's like they just did it for dramatic And effect. why tape someone's nose and not their mouth so they can't make noise? Mm. Justiners, if you can't wait to see these pictures for yourself, just Google Rick Abbath, A-B-A-T-H, image search, and it'll be the first images that come up. And like Kate said, they are haunting. Rip yourself, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, the boys were fine. They were shivering. They were scared. They were very uncomfortable and cranky Mm. and cold, but there wasn't a scratch on them. They were alive and perfectly well. And most of the police and the FBI then went off to continue searching the premises. And while they were doing that, Rick and Randy told the cops and the gallery's director what had happened overnight or what some might assert is their version of events Mm -hmm. that they wanted the cops to believe. So their story was at around 1.20am, Rick was sitting at the front security desk while Randy was out doing a patrol of the galleries. The doorbell rang and thanks to the security cameras, Rick could see who was standing outside at the front door and it looked like two uniformed police officers. Mm -hmm. And he spoke to them over the intercom. They said, we're Boston PD, we're here to investigate a disturbance. That seemed a little bit odd to Rick. He'd worked there on the night shift for well over a year and this had never happened before. Normally the cops didn't show up unless it was the security yeah. guards who rang like them. Who could have called them, yeah. Mm. But earlier in the night, a fire alarm system had malfunctioned and he'd reset it. So he thought, oh, well, maybe that's got some okay. direct connection to the cops I don't know about or... Because it was the St. Patrick's Day weekend and that brings out the sillies in people, maybe there were some drunk kids or something trying to climb a wall and someone had called the cops directly. Who knew? So he buzzed them in and straight away they asked Rick if he was alone in the museum. He said, no, Randy's out doing a sweep. They asked him to please call Randy on the walkie-talkie and tell him to come down to the foyer immediately. And while they waited for Randy to get there, the cops asked to see Rick's ID. So he stood up, came out from behind the desk to hand it over to them. And just as he was doing that, he sort of realised, that's kind of weird. And as he was handing it over, he was like, sure, dudes, but Yeah, shouldn't I be asking why? for yours? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like now's a good time to paint a bit of a picture of Rick. He was 23 years old. He was a musician. Yeah. And he was this sort of archetypal, stereotypical hippie guy. He mm-hmm. had okay. very long hair, ringlety, mm-hmm. all the way down to his nipples. Mm-hmm. He was wearing a rainbow tie-dyed T-shirt, <laughs> red corduroy pants, yeah. white high-top sneakers, and a metallic bomb bag around his waist. It was the 90s. Yes. Or just, yeah, what you'd see in Newtown maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Correct. Yes, yes, yes. Um, That sort of hipster aesthetic. But then out of obligation, he'd then thrown his security guard uniform shirt over the top of his tie-dyed tee, unbuttoned, but, you know. He was doing the very bare minimum. (laughs) Um, And from what I've read about Rick, it's pretty safe to assume that he had rather red eyes, dilated pupils, if you catch my drift. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, By all accounts, he showed up to work stoned and or drunk a lot because it was a pretty easy job most nights. You just had to to pass the time somehow. Sit around or walk around for a while. Yeah. So he came in fully loaded most shifts. Amazing. Um, As soon as Rick was away from his desk, and that desk is the only place in the museum that has a panic button that does connect Mm. to the Boston PD. Surely that's an oversight. Surely. One place in the whole building. Yes. (laughs) 
We'll talk about it a little bit, but the security systems in this place Mm. were just diabolically um, underprepared. (laughs) And it's remarkable that more hadn't been stolen. So he's away from the desk and the cops were like, you look familiar. We're pretty sure there's a warrant out for you. And Rick just got really <laughs> flustered. Like you can imagine if he's a little bit high yes. and maybe a little bit paranoid yeah, already. Yeah. He got all tongue-tied and he's like, no, no not me. No, no way, man. No, no, no. But then quick as a flash, one of the cops grabbed him and pushed him up against the wall, handcuffed him and told him he was under arrest. <gasps> it's going to throw back to the Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> Crooked cops, oh, yeah. yes. Um And then like a minute later, Randy arrived down in the lobby. And before he could say anything, the cops were like, we've got a warrant out for your arrest too. You're under arrest. Come here. And they cuffed him. And he also was just sort of flabbergasted. Yeah. Neither of them resisted because they were kind of scared and just confused about what was going on. And then when both of the guards had their hands cuffed behind their backs, one of the cops was like, surprise, gentlemen. This is a robbery. <gasps> bum, bum. No way. And Rick and Randy were both like, ooh. <laughs> oh. Right. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Neither of them cared enough about their minimum wage jobs or about the art in the gallery oh, no. to try to fight back. Yeah. They weren't going to resist. They cooperated fully as they were led down to the basement and both of them sort of mentally noted that the thieves didn't need to ask for directions. They seemed to know their way around the building to be able to go directly to the basement entrance. Then when they got downstairs, Rick and Randy were tied to their respective poles and the thieves told them they'd looked at their wallets, they'd seen their driver's licences, they knew where they lived and they promised them if they kept as quiet as they could when they were talking to the cops, then they would end up getting a reward in one year's time. Then they just left them there, tape around their head, tape around their wrists, and they sat there waiting for another six or so hours until the cops arrived with no clue what was going on upstairs in the galleries at that time. I don't even know what I would be thinking at this stage. I would have Mm. loved to have known what they were talking about. Yes, because they could still talk because they didn't have anything over their mouths. Well, I imagine that probably um, Randy was saying... I was called in last minute to cover a sick shift oh for one of our other God. colleagues and I could have just said no. Yeah. I'm not even meant to be here, but I decided, I decided I'd go ahead and come along and I brought my trombone that I was hoping to practice <laughs> over the course of this shift and now here we are here stuck we are in here. a basement. Meanwhile, oh. Rick is thinking, oh, my God, I've already given my two weeks notice. I was almost out of this place and now here I am. Tied to a pole. Stop it. But both of them were probably just really, really grateful that the thieves weren't violent Mm. and that they were totally fine. Do you know if they were carrying weapons? Uh, I don't believe they were. Mm. Yeah, they may have had guns, but at no point did they bring them out. They didn't need to. Mm. I wonder how real their cop uniforms looked. (laughs) Mm. Well, according to Rick... They looked super legit, legit yeah. enough for him to let them to in. To believe it, yeah. yeah but, um, but he was Like high, I said, so. Rick might have been, <laughs> yeah. Mm. So while Rick and Randy were downstairs recounting their story to the cops, upstairs in the galleries, they were starting to realise that an art lover's nightmare had come true. Masterpiece paintings that were like 400 years old had been ripped off the walls. The glass in their frames had been smashed. Oh. 
And then these centuries-old paintings had been cut <gasps> off their stretches with blades and they were gone, leaving just the empty frames and the shattered glass on the ground. The gallery director was devastated. You can imagine the emotional response yeah, just she so had much to seeing history. this. Mm. You can never get back. Yeah. It was immediately obvious that some of the most valuable, most important pieces in the museum were gone, which was going to mean a huge financial loss for the museum. These guys kind of knew what they were after. We'll go through a bit of an inventory of what they took, but yeah, it certainly seems they knew some of the most valuable pieces. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it kind of looks like they came in with a very intentional list of items to take. Yeah. Um, But yeah, one of the first things that the gallery director thought of was, oh my God, we are insured for everything except theft. We're insured for fire, flood, vandalism. Recently, we've seen a bunch of people throwing soup and cakes at paintings. They had insurance for that, but they didn't have insurance for theft. Surely that would be the first thing that you would include in your policy. Yes. Bizarre. Kind of shocking. But maybe it was a matter of the insurance companies weren't willing to insure a place that had security systems that were so lacking, Mm. that were hiring minimum wage stoners to to guard the place. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Not only the money, though, um, in the gallery director's eyes, losing these particular paintings was a very significant loss for the culture. One of the first items they realised was missing was a masterpiece Rembrandt painting mm. called Storm on the Sea of Galilee. Magnificent masterwork, the only seascape Rembrandt ever painted. A very famous oh work gosh. and to lose that was a pretty big loss. Um, then they also realised the thieves had also taken one of their other really highly cherished, valued paintings by an artist called Vermeer and there are only 33 Vermeer paintings in the world, and now this particular one had gone missing. Those two artworks alone, the first two they identified were gone, were worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So this was pretty gutting. Um, The gallery director then helped the cops itemise all the other artworks that had been taken, and it was a really weird and confusing selection because... The thieves had left behind some of the most expensive items in the gallery, which happened to be some of the most valuable artworks ah. in the world. Like there was a Michelangelo okay. that they just left where it was. There was a Titian painting that was and still is one of the most expensive artworks in history. So maybe they didn't really know what they were. A lot of people have speculated that. Like, it seems like these people were sort of going for what they oh, thought was high value or maybe and just And maybe the liked. size played into it because I'm wondering how did they carry all of these? They have to speculate on that, but yeah. they're thinking that they probably rolled the canvases up oh. after they'd cut them <laughs> off the frames, Jeez. which, yes, disastrous. Yeah. The Part of the reason they think that is they found chips of lacquer and paint oh. on the ground that had sort of flaked off. And, yeah, had they rolled it up too tightly, they probably did destroy the paintings forever. I imagine, like, it's so old, it would be kind of, like... Very crumbly. Crispy, yeah. Mm. Yeah, crumbly is a better word. Um, But, yeah, so they didn't take those super valuable items, but they did take things like a Chinese vase that was 700 years old and very beautiful, but it wasn't super unique or super valuable. It was worth, like, $1,000. And they took a metal eagle decoration from the top of a 
antique French flagpole uh-huh. worth like maybe, maybe a couple of hundred. Maybe dollars? these things are easier to sell because they're not so iconic, recognizable, mm. iconic, maybe potentially. But I mean, they were time consuming things to take. Like, okay, removing these items actually took a bit. Yeah, of I can effort. imagine. So you'd think they would just be focusing on the high value, uh, yeah. big ticket In items. And out. Yeah, yeah. One of the theories that's been put out there is that the thieves really just wanted people to be confused. And so that's why they took a couple of random items as well as the really high value items. All in all, they took 13 things with an estimated value in 1990 US dollars of 200 million, Hmm. which is 500 million US dollars today, which is about 800 million Australian dollars. Wow. In 2022. (gasps) This is the biggest property theft in history. Not just art theft, but any property being stolen in one swoop. Wow. Yes, yet to be surpassed. Uh, The thieves had tried to cover up their tracks. They found the security office and took the security camera tapes with them. going to ask if they had Mm -hmm. CCTV. Only on the outside and one camera set up in the lobby. Of course. And that footage lost forever. Uh, They also took the paper printout of the record that was kept of the museum's motion sensors, but they didn't realise there was a computer hard drive that kept a digital record of those motion sensors. Um, And I'll just sort of explain that a little bit more. The museum, like I've mentioned, didn't have a great security tech setup, but they did have a a motion sensor Mm -hmm. in every room, Mm -hmm. some rooms multiple. And they could be set up so that if they were triggered, they could ring an alarm Mm -hmm. immediately or they could be set up to just print out a notice to the security guards in the office to say, hey, go check this particular area. So they'd taken the the paper printout, but they'd left behind the digital version of that that they probably didn't realise existed. Okay, but that wouldn't tell them it was or much, would it? No, but it tells them exactly where the thieves went while they were okay, there, yep. which rooms they entered, when they went in, when they went out. Yep, they okay. could basically track their footsteps yep. right. and um, essentially retrace them mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. figure out what they were doing while they were in there. The key information that those records gave the police was that the thieves were clearly not in a rush. They very coolly spent 81 minutes in the museum. Wow. For a museum heist, that is like a year and a half that so they were just wandering around. So very confident that it was only two security guards on, mm-hmm. that there wasn't much security. They knew where the basement was. Mm-hmm. And they knew there were no other cops coming, real or otherwise. Okay. Mm. Okay. And they really took their time. Like some of the artworks they took, they had to unscrew like 24 screws from the back of a frame. <laughs> And this one particular frame, like, it was really small. It was the size of, like, an A4 piece of paper. So they could have just taken the whole thing and then unscrewed it to remove the artwork Mm. from the frame later on. But they took their time and did it while they were there in the gallery. They also learned the thieves only entered two specific rooms, both of which were on the second floor of the building, which was weird because there was one particular Manet painting that was missing from the blue room, which was on level one. No record of the sensors in that blue room going off at any point in the 81 minutes that the thieves were ransacking the museum. Put a pin in that and we're going to circle back to it in a little while. Mm. 
And this record of the motion sensors confirmed to the police what they'd already kind of realised, that the thieves were clearly pretty familiar with the museum. Mm -hmm. Not just the display galleries to the public, but they knew how to access a secret maintenance closet where they were able to access tools that they used. Oh! Uh And they knew where to find the security tapes as well. So all of those insights that they got from the motion sensor record pointed to the heist being an inside job. And the most obvious suspect from the get-go, was our mate Rick. Yeah, okay. So let's talk about how dodgy Rick looked that morning. Dodgy Rick. Like I said, he'd already resigned from the museum. Yep. And his reason for doing that was so he could focus his energy on his band. (laughs) (laughs) So classic. Of course, a psychedelic band very much inspired by Fish and the Grateful Dead. Um, (laughs) He was also a pretty disgruntled employee. He didn't get along with his boss at all. So he was just sort of bitterly seeing out his notice period and mm, couldn't wait until his final shift. Mm. Also, it was Rick who'd let the thieves in, which was 100% against protocol. Overnight, the rule was no one was meant to go in and no one was meant to go out of the museum. And okay. yes, sure, the thieves said they were cops when they showed up, but Rick was meant to get their badge IDs, get their names and call down to the police station to confirm they were who they said they were. Also, very strangely, about 20 minutes before he let those thieves in, Rick had opened and then closed one of the side doors to the gallery, which is a massive red flag and a huge Mm. breach of security. And they asked him why he'd do something like that. And he said he did it every night just to check that the lock was in good working order. Okay, Rick. Very dubious. That's exactly the face that the (laughs) cops and the gallery director were pulling. And they were like, that makes no sense. It's completely against protocol. Do you do that with every door, Rick, or just that one? Just that one particular. (laughs) They then went and checked the digital log every time the door had opened and closed over the last year or so since Rick had been working there. And they were like, you have never checked this door before, oh, ever, on any There's shift. There's holes in your story, my friend. Yeah. And he was like, oh, that's weird. No, I definitely do. <laughs> I definitely do that. Maybe your sense is broken. Like, I don't know. Mm, we don't think so. So now the cops were thinking, all right, maybe opening that door was a signal to the thieves that we're ready. it's time. Yeah. Come on in in a couple of minutes. And... Rick had turned off the museum's alarm system because at some point around midnight, he said it had glitched, all the fire alarms were going off at once, and he tried resetting the system, but that didn't work, so he just turned it off. Remember how I said he thought that might have been the reason that yes. the cops I'm sure this hasn't been up? solved, Jacob? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even I finished with the incriminating it about Rick. Oh. Um, And now we'll circle back to the thing I mentioned about the thieves only setting off sensors on level two, Mm -hmm. but an item being missing from level one, according to the motion sensors, which were tested several times after the robbery and found to be in very good working order. The thieves never went to level one and they never entered the blue room. And yet this small portrait painted by Manet was missing from the blue room on level one. well-known one, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And the frame for that portrait, that was the empty frame that was found on the head of security's chair. The head of security, who was Rick's nemesis, the guy he didn't get along with and one of the reasons why he'd chosen to resign. Yes. The sensors in the blue room were only set off one time that entire night, 
about an hour before the thieves got there and it was set off by Rick. His magnetic pass had been used to let him into their space. Right? (laughs) We know who it was. So they were pretty sure Rick had taken the painting out of the blue room um, and then the thieves had been the ones to make off with it. They asked Rick about these anomalies, that there was no record of him ever having opened the door to check the locks before (laughs) um, and asked him to explain why there would be no indication that the thieves had entered into the blue room and yet he had. And his response again was just like, yeah, that's weird. (laughs) Really weird. Do that every night. What do you mean? I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. So strange. (gasps) Huh. So they started looking really closely (laughs) at Rick. They reviewed all the archive videos from the security cameras from the previous year and found that he'd been letting people in and out of the museum (laughs) at all hours. And a lot of those people were museum employees, but when they watched the tape from New Year's Eve, they saw that Rick had let a bunch of his friends into the museum (laughs) so they could have a party in the court. (laughs) Wow. And he admitted, yep, yep, no denying it, that's me. I decided to let my buddies in because it was New Year's and we had shrooms and we just thought it'd be really fun to wander around and enjoy the museum while we were high. Rick, Rick, Rick. Um, and they asked him if that was the only time he'd ever done something like that. And he was like, I can't remember. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Just, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So the FBI agents were like, dude, you are clearly involved in some yeah. capacity. Yeah. Just tell us where the paintings have gone and we'll go easy on you. You make this simple for us and we'll make it as comfy as we can for you. Rick was like, no, not me, dude. I'm I'm a victim here. I had nothing to do with this. He wants this. his reward in a year time. Yeah, <laughs> I get it, Rick. He was very thoroughly investigated. He was monitored for years, but the FBI just couldn't pin anything on him. He seemed like he was the most obvious suspect, but every time they'd try finding a different angle to pursue him, it would turn out to be a dead end. So he is either wow. like a mastermind who was really playing the long game and he's waiting for his payday to come. doesn't give me that kind of vibe. No. No. And didn't give the FBI that vibe either. They really were like, (laughs) this guy's Mm -hmm. actually just a bit of a... Yeah, a bit silly. Chill. Yeah. Stoner. Maybe a little bit inept. Yeah, not clearly, let's say. A terrible security guard. So he hasn't been charged with anything in the last 32 years. Um, he's been happy again and again and again to talk to reporters and documentarians. He's like, I've got absolutely nothing to hide and you can check out my bank accounts. I'm certainly not worth half a billion dollars. He's a teacher's aide these days. Yeah. Like he lives a very, very humble existence. Very confused. Mm. I mean, could he have like an offshore bank account or something? Or like, you know, there's people that win the lotto and then they don't tell anyone because they just want to live a normal life. Like, or he was paid in cash. Or he was paid in cash. He's hiding it. Like, so many. But then, is he that smart? The FBI know. have thought of all these things and they've looked they have, and they've yeah. looked and they've looked and they have not been able to pin <laughs> anything on Rick whatsoever. Wow. I mean, I think the best theory for connection for Rick based on that is that maybe he really did just want to screw with the museum. This was his way of giving it a great big F you before he left there by allowing people to come in and just help themselves to whatever they'd like. Yeah. 
He says, though, that he feels a huge amount of regret for the fact this happened okay. and also for the fact that this is his legacy. Like, yeah. I Googled his name and you saw um, the first yeah, thing yeah. that came up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He feels this huge responsibility for being the person who let these thieves in and let them take these historic masterworks. Yeah. Do we know any more about Randy? What was his deal? Oh, Randy mm. has stayed very, very, very private. There aren't even pictures of Randy oh. available. He asked that his surname not be released to the public and he asked that his picture not be shown either, whereas Rick's been very, very happy to, like, put himself out there. Randy was just like, no, I don't I don't want anyone knowing who I am. I don't want to be associated yeah. with this. okay. Um, I'd love to believe that he went on to become a very successful trombone player because <laughs> that was his true passion in life. But okay, so if, if it wasn't Rick, if he had nothing to do with it, who's responsible for this heist? Before we jump into some of the theories, I feel like I should paint a bit of a picture of the museum for you mm-hmm. and help you understand why it was such a ridiculously mm-hmm. easy target that was protected by stoners. So the <laughs> Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum was named after Isabella Stewart Gardner and she is the woman that Anna Delvey wishes she could have been. They called her a millionaire bohemian, stinking rich her entire life. She was born oh, into wealth. Else, she yeah. married a rich man. She yeah. kept acquiring wealth over the course of her life. Wow. She had tons of charisma. She really had the it factor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She ran the social set of Boston. She was the tastemaker, top, top, top of the food chain. Traveled a lot, absolutely loved art, loved music, loved the finest things in life, wow. fashion, food. And she decided she wanted to create this amazing art museum as her gift to the people of Boston and the people of the world that she hoped would come. Yeah, and she was visit. rich, rich. Oh my God. Yeah, like, okay. filthy. Yeah. Yeah. She had one child who died and then she was widowed in her 50s. So designing and building and curating this museum became her whole life for the next 20-something years. She was there every day of construction. She oversaw every single detail in every single room. And then the museum was finished and it opened in 1903. She was 63 years old at that point and it was celebrated as an absolute triumph doesn't look like anything special from outside. It just looks like a basic four-story boxy factory. Yeah. But then from the inside, when you're in the atrium, it looks and feels like an uber grand palace in Venice, which is exactly what she was going for. And I'm going to pull up a picture for you, actually, to give you an idea. So that's the courtyard. Oh, the party courtyard, yep. I can mm-hmm. see why he had That's people exactly there. exactly where yes. they were dropping their shoes. So I, yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like really luxe. It's a combination of Gorgeous. art and horticulture. Very kind of Moroccan jungle vibes. Very eclectic. Yeah. They brought together all sorts of different artistic influences that shouldn't work together, but they do they work do. together yeah. thanks to Isabella and her immaculate oh, taste. And then every room had its own theme over all four floors. Yeah, really spectacular and stunning. You don't have to pay to go there. It's free entry. Um, And if you're in or near Boston, highly recommend you go there. Yeah. Hundreds of works of art from all around the world that Isabella had been collecting over the decades. And this was her pride, her joy, 
her legacy to the world. So she owned all the art. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And some of them were works that she had outbid the Louvre for. Like wow. she decided what she wanted and she and went she for it, it. And she would pay whatever <gasps> she had to pay at auction to get wow. the items she really wanted. I love that for her. Where yeah. did she get all her money from? Her dad started off as a linen importer. And that's how he made his fortune and then through investments once he was wealthy. Um, and so, yeah, she was already rich when she met another rich guy and married mm, him the and they continued to invest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, once everything was complete, once every artwork was where Isabella wanted it, she decided that she wouldn't allow anyone to change it even after she died. She wrote into her will that no new art was ever to be added, nothing was to be removed Mm -hmm. or sold or moved. There were to be no alterations, no substitutions ever. And if any single thing was changed, then the entire collection, as well as the building itself, was to be auctioned off and the money was to be donated to Harvard University, of all places. (laughs) Nobody wanted that. No. So they were willing to follow the rules and to not change a single thing in that space. She left a few million dollars to be used to help maintain the building and she set up a board of trustees and then she died when she was in her early 80s. And the trustees tried their best to work within the rules Isabella had set, which were very prohibitive when it came to doing things like Mm. security upgrades Mm. And enhancing things like the plumbing and the electrical wiring. So they weren't allowed to do any of that? Mm-hmm. And this was built in 1903? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's all starting to make sense. Yeah. yeah okay. So now 1990, 87 years yep. old. And, yeah, really insufficient security systems that tried Plumbing to work and, within their oh. parameters. Yeah. And they just didn't have a lot of money because the millions she'd left them had sort of dried up. They're not charging for admission to mm. peop- for people to come in I was going to ask how here. they make money. Yeah. Um, they weren't allowed to do, like, new unveilings of new artworks that had just been added that would draw in crowds yeah. and help them run fundraising events and that sort of thing because everything was just sort of the same yeah, as Isabella had intended, but maybe she wasn't thinking about the fact that they'll probably need to make some enhancements. Yeah, and or at least like hold events that were like, I mm. mean, old mate held a New Year's party there, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so the people who were looking after the museum, they'd done their best, but their best was 20-something stoners <laughs> guarding <laughs> the place and guarding billions of dollars wow. worth of art. Meanwhile, back when Isabella was alive and in charge, she had armed guards standing by the paintings 24 hours a day with orders to shoot to kill anyone who got too close to them. And then decades later, you've got hippie musicians wearing bum bags wandering around the place. Yeah. Yeah. The FBI is still investigating this case very actively to this day because biggest case of property theft in history. And it's and they been, what, really, 30 years? 32 years, yeah. Wow. They really want to get these paintings back. Um, you can imagine how many leads they've investigated over the course of the last few yeah. decades. They still haven't solved shit. Everything has ended up being a dead end. They've had people coming forward claiming that they've got information or that they've even seen the artworks on people's walls with their own eyes just brazenly on display 
every time they go and investigate one of those reports, it's ended up being a red herring. So let's jump into some of the theories. Just last year, Netflix brought out a four-part series, a documentary called Mm -hmm. This is a Robbery, that covers a lot of this detail and really Mm -hmm. delves into some of the theories. There's also a really great podcast series called Last Scene, S-E-E-N, um, that also delves into a bunch of different theories and heaps of books have been written as well. The best one is called Master Thieves. We'll pop a link to that in the show notes as well. The thing about all these theories, when people present them, they present them like, this is it, this is the one. We've solved it. We've yeah. got it, we've got it, and they lead you down that path. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you get to the end and it's the same thing again and again. And it wasn't them. Yeah. It wasn't them. And it wasn't <laughs> oh. them. Yeah. Um, So I'm just going to go through and sort of lightning round style, give you a bit of a roundup of some of the people who made it onto the suspect list in no particular order. Mm Ex-employees. The thieves maybe knew the gallery really well because they used to work there at some point. Very familiar with the security systems. And the security guards maybe. Uh Yep. And they might also have connections with museum patrons or other people in the art world who placed an order for certain items that they would really like to have for their own collections. So, yeah, previous employees Mm -hmm. who'd worked at the gallery, they were investigated, dead end. The cops. Some of the evidence from the crime scene went missing in the days following the heist. And maybe that could be explained if it was police who were responsible for the theft and it wasn't mm. two guys showing up yeah, in cop twists. disguises. The real cops. Actual real cops, yes. And maybe those cops had connections to the IRA or to the Boston Mafia. And that's been demonstrated in the past. Boston police have had connections to both of those organisations, the IRA being the Irish yes. Republican yep. Army. Yep. Um if you're not aware of them, just as they were fighting a, a low-key war mm-hmm. for independence of Northern England, Ireland yeah. around this time, they were known to use stolen artworks as currency to buy guns and ammunition on the black market. So maybe the thieves were working for them and they'd sort of donated the artworks to the IRA to use to buy weaponry. Mm-hmm. Or if it was the Boston Mafia they were known to have connections to the police and to the FBI and they had a history of art theft and they also, in particular, had a history of using stolen artworks to trade with the FBI to get other members of the mafia out of prison. So there's a pretty strong theory that maybe the mafia had orchestrated the theft knowing that at some point they might be able to trade one of the Rembrandts or the Vermeer or the Monet to get one of their buddies out of prison if they needed to. That's probably one of the most popular theories. I can can see that. Yeah. I can see that. One of the ones that I quite liked, though, is that there are a couple of other big-time art thieves who'd been prolific over the course of their careers, Mm. who'd been caught, put in jail, and were in jail when this heist happened, but there have been people who said that they have on good authority information that tells them that these thieves who were behind bars basically wrote out the recipe for someone else to follow. Wow, and they were in jail in Boston? Uh, No, California. Okay. And one in Texas. still in the States, Yeah. wow. Mm. Okay. So they're just some of the theories. Most of the focus is placed on the Boston Mafia. Yeah. 
thing is, though, a lot of the people in the Boston Mafia who've been implicated and investigated over the years are now dead. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were murdered. And so, honestly, I think the fact is we'll probably never know who Could just be in someone's the museum. grandma's basement or something. She doesn't even know. That's exactly it, yeah. And this is the other really big question, uh, arguably the m- most important question. What happened to the art? Yeah. And where is it? Because it's somewhere. Mm. And two factors to keep in mind. Firstly, the statute of limitation for the robbery expired years and years ago. No one can be charged for this crime. Oh, I didn't realise that was a thing. Yeah. Oh, so Rick could come out tomorrow and say... Precisely. It was me. Yep. Anyone could come forward and say it was me. And not only would they not have any consequences to face, they would be given the $10 million reward that's been available (laughs) for the last few decades. They explicitly state this on the museum's (laughs) website. Anyone who provides information that leads to the art being recovered will get the $10 million reward, even if you were directly involved in the heist. And despite that... Still, no one's been able to provide a legitimate lead. Well, the art would be worth more than that, That's right? Correct. So it's We're talking about like, mm, if you ten did do mil it. or half a bill. True. Yeah. Yeah. But really, how much is that art worth if all you can do is keep it hidden, right? Yeah, because yeah, it's you wouldn't be able to sell it off. Yeah. On the black market, maybe. But then, what are they going to do with it? Incredibly tricky. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So if there's Someone who's still alive, who knows where the art is, they either don't want to part with it because they really like it, maybe they've grown attached to it, or they can't return it because it's ruined. And there are a lot of us, I'm in this camp, who think the the art was probably destroyed. The people who took it probably didn't know how to handle it with care, how to store it, Mm -hmm. how to keep it preserved. Because it has to be a specific temperature Mm -hmm. and everything, right? Yep. (gasps) So it's probably perished and it's kind of shameful for them to admit that so they just want to lie low. They don't want to be known as the person who, like... Destroyed it for $10 million. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But then there are other people who think that the theft, the heist, was commissioned by some wealthy underworld boss, maybe a Russian oligarch or something, Mm. who sort of placed an order for the art he or she liked and it's been on their wall in their secret lair for the last three decades and they don't care about $10 million. Yeah, they've got all the money in the world. Okay. the reward. There are other people who believe the art was probably put in a secret storage place and then while the thieves were waiting for the heat to die down so they could go ahead and sell the art, probably on the black market, they carked it. Mm-hmm. And so people are just going to keep searching and searching and searching. And if they're lucky, they'll stumble across it. But wow. the people who know, dead. <gasps> so, yeah, the FBI is still searching for the 13 pieces. I really hope it shows up at some point in our lifetimes. That would be a real thrill. But I also do love the idea of it being found in like 500 years. Yeah, and then, and then being having like, to what like is this? Retrace the yeah. steps and figure out how it got where it ends up being found. And while the search continues, the empty frames are still hanging on the wall in well, the Gardner Museum. They're not going to change anything. Exactly. <gasps> yeah. So on a technicality, because 13 items have been removed, the trustees should be selling everything off and donating yeah. all the proceeds to Harvard. To Harvard. But they're going, no, 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 no. Yeah. The, the paintings are coming back. Yeah. And we're just leaving the frames <laughs> just, here as yeah. a placeholder. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, it, 
if you're in the Boston area, go and see this incredible space and you'll also get to see oh those frames that, that are part frame. of history. And you'll know yeah. why they're empty. Mm. I guess now it's more of a tourist attraction. Yeah. It is, yeah. It boosted visitorship over the last 30-odd years, which had really been dipping. Yeah. Um, and it's like, was the art gallery involved? Mm. <laughs> that That's a good thing? call. Yeah. I did have that thought as well because the new gallery director... Her name was Anne Hawley. She'd only been in there for like six months and she was hired specifically to reinvigorate the place oh and God, bring it back so to life because it had gone so it? staid. And so there are some people who think, oh, well, maybe Marketing she staged this yeah. for publicity because this did make the gallery quite famous and it's just continued to sort of grow in fame because so many people wow. find out about this story and become absolutely fascinated That's by it. That's my theory now. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. Lindsay's on board with that one. Wow. Um yeah, so, look, that was just the gist of the greatest art heist of all time, if you want more than just the gist. Um, that podcast I recommended, Last Scene, that's a great one because each of their episodes, they provide a lot of links that you can then follow okay, to yeah. really go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And they take you on a bit of a fun journey in some of the final episodes where they think they have located where the paintings are, oh, somewhere in Orlando, yeah. Florida. You've sold me, yeah. And you actually get to listen as they're recording on site, as they're digging up this um, structure that was underground and had been hidden there for years and years and years, and then what they end up finding inside there. I'm not going to give it away. Uh, So, yeah, last scene, highly recommend that. That book I recommended is called Master Thieves. And the Netflix documentary, that was made by some documentarians who genuinely hoped that putting that out there was going to result in the paintings finally being recovered. Yeah. That was yeah. their motivation. They figured Netflix is in every country around the world. If surely millions mm-hmm. and millions of people watch this, someone's got to know something. One of them will have seen at least one of these artworks somewhere and it could lead to this case unraveling. Surely. That docker came out last year, still nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Do we think potentially also Maybe if the gallery wasn't involved, which is my main theory, but mm. could Rick and his young friends have stolen it and are now just too embarrassed to give it back and they've hidden it somewhere or it's ruined or, yep. yeah, just... Look, I think it's a possibility. I still think it was Rick. And we may find out that it was Rick when he releases his book in the next couple of <gasps> oh, years. Oh, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> Rick's currently writing oh, a little tome. Rick. Uh-huh. And wouldn't it be explosive if you had that revelation in just there the after end, all just, these years? And it was me. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, yeah, so just as I'll, I'll give you a heads up as soon as Rick's book is released. I know I'm going to be waiting with bated <laughs> breath for that. So, Kate, thank you so much for coming on that ride with us. That was incredible, Jacob. Thank you, you so fun. much. I, I lost did. my mind and lost my words several times along the way there. <laughs> Um, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been so much fun. Where can all the listeners find you? Thanks so much for having me. Um, just at Kate was W A S underscore on Instagram and TikTok. Terrific. Yeah. yeah. You got anything exciting coming up between now and the end of the year? Uh, I do, but it's a secret. <laughs> I love when people come on the podcast and they're like, I do, but I can't it's tell so you about annoying, it now. so annoying, isn't it? Like, yeah. We recorded yesterday with Carlo Ritchie, who will come out next week, yeah. and he said that when we had Charlie Clawson in a few weeks ago. He was like, oh, yes, like something's coming up, but like I can't really talk about it. It's like, oh. you know you're important That's when it. you can't talk about yeah, it. It's yeah, very yeah. classic influencer of yeah. me. Hey, guys, I'm working on something really fun, but I can't tell you. <laughs> 
announcement coming soon. All right, so follow Kate and you'll get the scoop as soon as it happens. Oh, thanks Whatever so much, it may Jacob. Be. I can't wait for this book. Mm. Yeah, right. Scandalous. It's going to be juicy. All right, thanks, guys. See thanks, you next guys. time. Uh, I'm trying to think if I have any other questions about the story. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? There was one thing that I didn't include because I couldn't remember exactly where I'd heard it, whether it was in the audiobook or in a podcast mm-hmm. that I'd listened to maybe last scene or if I'd just made it up completely. But when the security guards first went into the building that morning when they're sort of freaking out, like, what's happened, what's happened? One of the first things they noticed was that someone had raided the vending machine using a wire coat hanger. <laughs> and there were all these empty packets of chips and candy wrappers and stuff lying around on the ground. And the thieves, while they'd been there, they had, had decided they eat. weren't just going to steal the artworks. They were all saying... Well, they did have 81 minutes, so yeah. <laughs> they need to refuel oh along gosh. the way. Oh, my gosh. But really and truly, I couldn't go back and find where I had yeah. heard or read that. And so I was like, I might have just dreamt yeah. it. So it's <laughs> Made it up. I just yeah. it <laughs> but I thought it was such a great detail if that was true. But yeah, yeah that's they dedicated funny. some of those 81 that, minutes to that my Rick theory. He was high and <gasps> hungry. Mm. Oh, and even more involved than we realised. Yeah. <laughs> Listener.